Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hand. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Rim Zone. I hope you're never the same. In our never-ending I Work Rim desire to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways that'll challenge the way you think about your faith and work, today we're legally speaking about your faith and your workplace, and we've got expert in studio, attorney David Gibbs III, the president of the National Center for Life and Liberty, joining us again. This is his third time on the show. David Gibbs, welcome back to the I Work For Him show. Jim, number one, I love being here. I love your energy. I love your passion. And I love the fact that you're encouraging people of faith to recognize we work for somebody. And today, everybody had a choice. So whether they worked regular hours, different shifts, or they're going to work later tonight, the reality is who are they dedicating themselves to? And I love your passion. It's certainly my privilege to be here. And one of the things we were talking about ahead of the show is um, we both have a passion for people to understand they have more rights than they realize. And and I think, you know, there's this world out there, we'll call it just the negative deluge. It can be the secular media, it can be the educational institutions, it can just be uninformed coworkers, oh, you can't do that. Well, you know, religion out of the workplace, you know, separation of church and state, you can't talk about Jesus in your private workplace. People are just confused. And and what you love to do with your uh, ministry here is to encourage people to recognize they're working for somebody, they need to have that zeal and passion. And what I like to do on the legal side is say, guess what, you've got a lot 
lot more rights than you may realize. All right, but before we get that, I really want people to hear from your heart. Talk about how Jesus Christ is making an impact on your life today. Well, I had to make a decision back when I was an attorney. Um, I went to Duke Law School, got open some wonderful doors oh, for Duke me. Law School. Hey, they were in the news a little bit recently. Yeah, they get themselves up the, there every the, once in a while. The you know? Muslim call to prayer at yes. Duke Law School. And, and again, uh, well, Duke University. I don't oh, know that. Oh, that was oh that's law right. School. That's right. I was Duke University, but they're not related? Yeah, well, they're, they're all connected. Okay, I, just I'm, not, checking. I, I'm not defending Duke at all. Okay. You know, I mean, you got to remember, uh, one of the most uh, illustrious graduates of Duke Law School is Richard Nixon, the only president <laughs> resigned. So we we, we do have our share of history that we look at. And so uh, in all of that, uh, but God opened the door for me to go to Duke. And I really, I, I had more or less a window. I would look and say, I'm going to go in the secular, the big business. I mean, back in the day, job opportunities back in the early 90s that were significant six figures tracking towards, you know, basically more money than you could spend in a lifetime if you want to just work for money. And uh, we all need to earn money. We need to pay our bills. I understand that. But I had to make a decision. Is my life about money or is my life about what? And I made the decision, number one, to serve the Lord, but number two, to serve other people. And my passion in the legal ministry that I operate, National Center for Life and Liberty, is we defend lives and we defend freedoms and liberties for people like yourself, for people in ministry, for people in the workplace, for the younger generation, because I believe that uh, we are going to lose our freedoms if we... As as a generation, as we as leaders right now don't step forward and say, you know, these are important. They've been handed to us uh, by God, most importantly, but also by our founding fathers. And it's time for the good people to step up and make a difference. Mm, that, there's just so much to be said there. You know, before we get into a real conversation about religious liberty in the workplace, which I really want to get there, you said something earlier today at the Christian Chamber of Commerce. Hey, if you aren't a member of the Christian Chamber of Commerce, you should join the third Wednesday of every month, Feather Sound Country Club in Pinellas County, C3TB.org. Yeah, that was an unpaid ad. Okay, so you said that there was a law. This this never hit the news that there was a lawsuit brought before the Supreme Court last year, 2013, that that was about the constitutionality of a government official using the word Jesus. It went up to the United States Supreme Court, and uh, if folks are interested, they can look at the uh, town of Greece, which is a city in New York. That's how it's referred to in the vernacular. And the question that the Supreme Court evaluated is, is it constitutional? Now, Jimmy, people are going to understand. People would say it's unconstitutional to use the name Jesus in a prayer, an opening address by a government official. Now, this would have impact not just for government entities, but public schools, military, workplaces. And the Supreme Court wrestled with that issue. We were involved at the National Center for Life and Liberty. We represented here in Florida, the city of Lakeland, as well as seven other government jurisdictions that had been sued on this issue. And uh, the good news is the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the name of Jesus. The bad news, and I, I don't say this to be depressing, but just the practical effect, is it was a five to four decision. Four justices on the sitting United States Supreme Court said, we think the name Jesus should be unconstitutional. Well, you know what that has everybody doing. They're looking at the 2016 election. They're looking at Barack Obama in the White House. They're looking at which Supreme Court justice may die or go away. And with one vote on that Supreme Court shifting, uh, many commentators are telling me they believe, and I agree with them, that we would have the most liberal Supreme Court, not in recent history, but in our nation's history. Mm. That's scary. Just mere fact, the government officials, that, understand that's not making it unconstitutional to use the word Jesus in our country, but just as a government official, that's an amazing thing. When you well, think about the fact that our country was founded 
by Christ followers who were escaping the tyranny of the church and of the king. When we were before Chief Justice Roberts um, and the nine Supreme Court justices sit across the front, and Chief Justice Roberts picked up quickly that our founding fathers prayed. They prayed in Jesus' name. But then he made a comment, and I think this is just telling. He said, but our nation has changed a lot since then. And they began to wrestle with the minority religions, the Baha'is, the Muslims, the others that are offended at the name of Jesus. And how do we deal with these issues? And while the Supreme Court did rule correctly, and, and I respect the ruling, um, for them to recognize that really we were founded as a Christian nation, but we've changed a lot since then. And I, I think that's one of the passions you have in the workplace. It's certainly a passion I have in the courthouses, the legislative halls, and in my own uh, media and outreach world, is we need to realize that if we as people of faith, if we as people who follow Christ, as we as Bible believers don't speak up now, um, the nation's going to continue to change in a direction that our children, or if God tarries and grandchildren, future generations, um, are not even going to recognize what we now call the United States of America. Well, and the reason that our nation has shifted so much is the failure of Christ followers to bring their faith to work and to apply it to work. Now, a lot of that rests on the on the backs of the churches that are not really great at equipping Christ followers to go into the workplace. They, they look at workplace, well, you're a business guy, hey, bring your money, bring, uh, come lead a committee, but we're not, they're not, churches are not equipping business people, uh, not a lot of them, to actually go into the ministry of their mission field, their workplace mission field. And, and that's, we need to, and that's what I want to talk about today, because we've got a lot of religious liberty in our workplaces. And first of all, as Christ followers, even if we had zero religious liberty, we still bring the Almighty God with us Absolutely. wherever we go. And the most powerful thing we can do is pray for people, and, and, and it breaks down walls, and those people can open up those walls, because someday my radio show will be banned. Yes. I, I, whether it's in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime, I expect me to be banned. And if I got to go to jail for something, it'd be for talking about Jesus on a radio. But they can never ban you for praying in your heart. That's right. And, and we bring the Holy Spirit with us, the power of the Almighty God into the workplace. Yet we fail to recognize the power that that really is. Because when people are at their lowest point and people in our workplaces come to that all the time, they are open to yes. the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jim, you've got your thumb all over it. What is your spiritual purpose? Are you spiritually minded? Now, I'm going to go even beyond I work for him. I think we need to be spiritually minded in our marriages. We need to be spiritually minded in our kids. Maybe you don't go in the workplace. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Or well, that's a workplace. A, There's no worse, no harder workplace than being a stay-at-home mom. I totally agree. But Except I think, for maybe a stay-at-home single mom. I think sometimes people think like, well, you know, I don't go punch a clock or I'm not a, a radio host or I'm not an attorney. And so they don't think they're in the workplace. But the reality is when you get out of bed in the morning, and God gives you breath, okay, you have a spiritual purpose in your children, in your spouse, in your family, in your relationships, in your friends, in your church, and in what you do potentially for employment or volunteer work. And I think the Christian people understanding that they have a spiritual mission. If you think about this, when you get saved, wouldn't it be easier for God to just zip you up to heaven? Yeah, it would be a lot easier. You wouldn't but... do anything stupid. You wouldn't say anything, do anything. You wouldn't sin anymore. <laughs> but the reality is God says, no, no, no. I'm going to put up with Jim. I'm going to put up with David. I'm going to put up with all my children. Why? Because he has something for us to do. Well, right. I mean, it's our witness in this community that draws people to Christ. Well, that's what the whole idea was. Because as I prayed about it earlier today at the Christian Chamber, 
when people met Jesus, the scripture documents that everybody who met Jesus, their lives were never the same. When Jesus, when people who met Jesus, their lives were impacted and they never recovered. They either went one way or the other. They either ran away from him, like the rich young ruler who said, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hey, here's your, your big, I, I've obeyed all the commandments. Yeah, but just go ahead and give away all your money and come follow me. And that was his barrier. And he decided, no, I'm not doing what Jesus said. I'm going the other direction. His life was never the same. That's right. You know, those words haunted him till the day he died. And maybe he came to Christ later. We don't know. But but everybody, the, all the other people we talk about, every time they met Jesus, their lives were never the same. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's pretty evident in who you are. But my life, since July the 13th, 1979, I have never been the same. Absolutely. And a lot of people are saved. And I almost think that they take for granted their salvation. And then they get self-absorbed. And this is in our society. By the way, we live in a selfish society. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't want to care for the elderly or the disabled because they're too much work. And we want our own thing. And, and we're in a society right now that doesn't value uh, relation and spiritual things like they should. And so people become self-absorbed. So money isn't what I, can I do for God? What can I do for others? It becomes what can I do for myself? You know, how do I get to the next party or good time? And people live a very self-absorbed life. And sadly, Christians in this culture get sucked into that. And and that's what I love about your passion with uh, I work for him as well as the Christian Chamber. We had a great lunch with uh, many outstanding um, like-minded Christian business owners and workers, people who want to be the salt and light in our community. But these are folks that say, look, yeah, I'm going to earn a living, but I've got a purpose. I've got a spiritual dynamic to my life that transcends what is so self-absorbed in our culture. And I'm not just earning what I get paid down here for my daily job or my work, but I'm earning eternal reward because I'm making that day count for Jesus Christ. And I, it really is, Jim, I mean, just simply put, an attitude when you get out of bed in the morning. What are you going to do to make today count? If you and I ended today and we go to bed at night, okay, somebody says, well, you did this, that, and the other. You ate, you slept, you talked, you did whatever you do. But what did we do that counted for eternity? Now, I know your daily radio and your passion, your investment in others, you would have many things you could look back and say that was an eternal investment. But sadly... There's a lot of Christians that say, you know, I punched the clock, I watched TV, I ate, and I slept. And you know what? I don't know that today really counted for anybody but me. And that is where I like to encourage people. You know what? It's not that much different if you would just realize those opportunities to talk, to minister. Maybe turn off the television tonight and actually look over at your child and say, what's going on in your life? And all of a sudden, (laughs) your evening could go from just being all about you and what's the next show and where's the potato chips to influencing your child for Jesus Christ. And those conversations, the kitchen table conversations, the looking somebody in the eye, the putting down the cell phone, you know, do we really need to like what somebody ate for dinner on Facebook? Or could we have a relationship (laughs) with somebody who's in our lives and letting people have that mission? moment where they say, you know what, today can count for somebody else, and it can certainly count for eternity. Each and every day. And, and we need to recognize, a lot of people don't think about it, because we do live in a very self-centered society, but when we die, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. That's correct. You know, we don't take any of the stuff we earn. We don't take it with us. Somebody else gets it. You're earning. And that, that was what Solomon wrote about in Ecclesiastes. Like, yeah, it's all, you're, you're working for somebody else. It's none of, you, none of that stuff comes with you. But you get to take two things with you. Number one, your relationship with your heavenly father that continues on because when you become a Christ follower, eternity starts. Yep. And number two, those people that you bring to Christ, you'll meet them in heaven as well. And so those relationships we have in our workplace in our homes in our neighborhoods in our churches, those are eternal relationships. And well, I always tell folks, imagine, you know, again, don't want to uh, drive safely, keep your eyes on the road, 
but all of a sudden you're doing everything right and somebody does something wrong. We're living in Tampa Bay. Most people are sitting still in traffic right now. A vicious impact, and all of a sudden, in mere microseconds, you leave this world and you're in the next. You don't get to say another prayer. You can't pick up a Bible. You can't call this radio program. You can't talk to a pastor. You're standing before God. At that moment, Jim, it doesn't really matter, does it, if you were in a really expensive car or a piece of junk. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter if you've got 401K and all sorts of cash on hand or if you've got a bunch of bills, you're not sure how you're going to make it. The only thing that matters in eternity is are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? And the wonderful thing for followers of Christ is they can look up. They don't have to say, here's my good works versus my bad works. They don't have to say, here's my money. I'll buy my way in. What they can say is, Jesus, I trusted in you. And he'll say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. And understanding that is the most important decision. Then once you have that glorious moment of becoming a child of God, how as a child that you want to please your heavenly father, do you make today count for his glory? You know, you founded the National Center for Life and Liberty to help people fight these these challenges against their faith. But w- what do you see as the number one attack right now on our liberties, our, 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 our Christian liberties? Well, I don't know that you can say a total number one, but I would certainly say the gospel and biblical distinctives in the church and in workplaces is under assault. But then I would also say number two, just from a practical standpoint, I don't believe life is being protected in this culture like it should. The sanctity of human life. I would put this out, Jim, not to be scary to your uh, listeners right now, but if you don't protect human life, you don't have any other liberty. And all of a sudden, the right to die movement that is sweeping our country right now is quickly becoming the duty to die. People saying, I don't want to live past 75. I don't want to live if I have a disease. And all of a sudden, the most fundamental right that our founding fathers understood, life, then liberty, then the pursuit of happiness, I believe is not being adequately protected in our healthcare system and by our government. So I'm watching our biblical values, Jesus, the gospel, training the next generation under assault, and life is not being protected as the precious gift from God as we're made in his image. It is amazing to me how incredible our founding fathers were because they they saw it. They they they, they it was unbelievable the things they addressed in the Constitution, in the writing of the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of I mean, it's just amazing the things they did. Before we get back to David, as we do each and every day, it's time for our book highlight segment, brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Karis Christian Books and Gifts have been part of the Largo community for over 29 years, located in the center of First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks on Elmerton Road in Largo. Their 2,400-square-foot stores open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at shopcaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S. Dot com. Be the first two people to call into the show today at 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929, and I will send you a copy of the book we highlight next. Compliments of my wife, Martha, and Karis Christian Books and Gifts, and of course, Attorney David Gibbs. Our book today is Understanding the Constitution, the author David Gibbs. David, go ahead and give us a short explanation. This book takes the United States Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land, and it lays out 10 things every citizen should know about this document. Um, you know, Jim, a lot of people hear the word Constitution, they think long, dark, complicated. You know, it's a simple document. It can be read quickly. It outlines rights and freedoms that you have, and most people that read it are inspired at the genius of the Founding Fathers and the fact that they have way more liberty than they may realize. But then something else happens. They awaken and they 
they go, wait a minute, there's government, there's others that are trying to take away our liberties. And then number two, do my children even know what they are? And so this book um, is a book that people have found to be very helpful to know their rights, to stand up for them, and to pass them along to the next generation. Understanding the Constitution, written by attorney David Gibbs, with along with attorney Barbara Weller. Call into the studio line 855-265-2929. That's 855-265-2929. And remember, you know you need to read this book because Hollywood is never, never going to make this movie. Welcome back. We're live here on the I Work For Him program with attorney David Gibbs at the National Center for Life and Liberty. All right, David, we just have a few minutes to the bottom of the half hour. You know, this uh, religious liberty in the workplace, people don't even really know what that is. Let's define that. And then after the bottom of the half hour, let's really talk about what kind of rights people have, depending on the kind of organization they work within. So what is religious liberty? Well, religious liberty is just simply put, being able to live your faith without governmental interference or control or having a employer interfere with your rights that the law would provide for you. And we're in a society right now where there's a lot of complication. People say, well, it seems like the Muslims are getting a lot of protection. They get prayer rugs and special times, and yet they're telling me I can't invite somebody to church, and it seems like there's a lot of inconsistencies, there's a lot of confusion. But religious liberty in the workplace is where you have that ability to do your job, and you need to be a good employee, but also live your faith and not be asked to do things that violate your faith. And the rules, uh, Jim, as we'll talk about later in the program, really vary as to who you're working for, and there's different guidelines. But the reality is both employers and owners and employees, they have way more rights than they may realize. And and we're going to talk about that because employers, Christ-following employers and leaders, they need to know what their rights are. But if you're an employee and you're not one of those leaders, it's so important that you recognize that if all you're doing is whining and complaining and you're not an exemplary employee, they're never going to hear the truth of your message. If you really want to reach people for Christ, you need to be the best employee possible that you can be. And you not need to whine and complain. You need to present your case, but you need to live Jesus. Yeah, that, if, that's what's powerful. If you're a lousy employee, don't tell them you're a Christian. Please you're don't. You're a bad testimony. You're embarrassing all of us. That's right. Step back. If you are a lousy, that's right. If you're, <laughs> you could say say that again. People like that. That's good. No, if you're a lousy employee, don't tell them you're a Christian. That's you know, right. Just you know, tell them you're thinking of becoming a Muslim. Do something, but don't put the name of Jesus. Don't put the name of Christ on a poor testimony. You know, um, recognize anytime you're in the workplace or anywhere, if you're going to take the right stand, you need to do it the right way. But then, my friend, do it with a right spirit and the spirit is something god can bless Mm. and and that's true and really that's really what integrity is you people should be able to if you're a christ follower you should be able to be tried in court and should be able to be proven oh absolutely you know i mean there's a line i have heard others say and it's a good one is if you were on trial for the faith is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? I'd love to know who wrote that. Was that C.S. Lewis that wrote that? I, I don't know. I, I've heard You're it. an attorney. You're but, supposed but, to know well, that But stuff. the reality is it's a great question. It is a great I mean, question. If you say, you know, what, what did you watch on TV last night? Well, would Jesus have watched it with you? Would Jesus approve? Well, what did you do with your life yesterday? And, you know, you take the typical Christian and you lay out the evidence. Let the attorneys ask the questions. And all of a sudden you say, wow, you know, I'm not sure I would look at that and say that's a christian yeah because our behavior should be decidedly different than those who don't call themselves christ fathers that's the like i said when your life's been impacted by jesus 
Everything about you should be changing. Here we're talking with attorney David Gibbs III, president of the National Center for Life and Liberty. Today, talking about religious liberty in the workplace, I brought David back because this is a hot topic, and we talked about it so fast back in October. I want to bring him back again today. Let's, let's really lay it out, David. Welcome back to the I Work For Him show. Well, Jim, first of all, thank you. Um, believe in your ministry, believe in what you're doing, love your passion. And you're right. This is a topic that folks need to just step back a minute. And really, there's really a couple analysis that needs to occur. Number one, you need to decide what kind of workplace you have. And then number two, you're either an employee or a decision maker. Okay. So depending on where you're at in those categories, the rules can vary. So let's begin with workplaces. Every workplace falls into basically one of two categories. You're either working for the government or you're not. Now, somebody says, I'm working for the county, I'm working for the state, I'm working for the city. Guess what? You're a government employee, okay? I'm a mailman, I'm this or that. If you're a government employee, your rights are under the government. Uh, if you're a private employer, okay, now that would be, you know, some type of business. That means there's either an owner or that means there's a nonprofit private board that you're under. The rights vary depending on the types of workplace. So let's talk government first, because many people do work for our government in some capacity one way or the other. Um, government workers have a wonderful thing called the United States Constitution to protect them. Now, somebody goes, wait a minute, I'm a citizen. Everybody should have the Constitution to protect them. Well, let me slow you down a little bit. The Constitution only protects you from government action. So, for example, I'm here on the radio show, and if Jim goes, you know what, David, you need to be quiet right now. I need to do something else on the show. I don't go, well, I have free speech. I need to step up. You know, <laughs> no, I, he's a, this is a private show, and he can direct me, and I, I'm to obey, or I could be removed as disorderly. I mean, because I have no constitutional rights. I'm here as his guest. By the way, that's the same thing at your church. That's the same thing in your home. That's You have the right. You know, obviously, you can invite me in, but if you ask me to leave, I have no right to be there. Now, if the government, on the other hand, says, wait a minute, David, you can't talk about Jesus on the radio. Guess what? Constitution kicks in. Why? Because the government is now stepping in and saying that my free speech, freedom of religion, or other rights are being infringed upon. So government workers have constitutional rights. So if you're in a government workplace, realize they have to treat you fairly. Okay, that's Regardless of what level they are within the government? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want, I mean, so they could be, they could be the vice president of the president of the United States all the way down to a, a worker bee. Absolutely. Any government employee has complete constitutional protection and fairness is the underarching principle that they have to treat everybody pretty much the same on the religious front. And then they cannot promote one religion at the expense of another. So those that are in leadership in government sometimes find themselves frustrated because they say, well, I want a spouse more of my faith or I want to promote my faith more and the government has to maintain more neutrality than private business but the workers the people in government have incredible religious liberty protection so that's kind of the government side but now let me just go but going back to the founding fathers to me it seems in the documents I've been told about I have not read a lot of the historical ones you're probably more up, up on me but they weren't really I mean these were God-fearing oh, yeah. Christ-following men Absolutely. that founded our country Absolutely. They were people of deep faith. They they prayed. I mean, let's put on the table so people understand the founding fathers, because we, we have kind of a backwards America now. Everybody just wants to get rich and have fun. The guys that founded this country were rich and could have had fun. Okay, they gave it all up. They said, we will surrender our lives, our fortunes, our families. I mean, these were the elite. I mean, these were the owners of Walmart. I mean, these guys had whatever they wanted. And they said, no, 
freedom and faith and what we hand the next generation matters to us. And many of them died as paupers, hunted as traitors. They watched their families be killed because they said, you know what, this liberty, this nation matters to us at that level. And so people need to understand the founding fathers were immensely committed. They were also immensely spiritual. Now, am I going to say they're all perfect? Absolutely not. No. They, they were all sinners like you and I, and they, um, you can read different histories where they would have made mistakes or done things wrong. Not all of them were God-fearing Christians like we would have hoped they would be. But overarchingly, there was a Christian emphasis. There was Christian values. There's no question we were founded as a nation under God. They, they looked to the Bible, the English common law, uh, to interpret the laws of our nation, the Constitution. So these were people that clearly viewed the Bible as authoritative, as God's word. And many of them, uh, if not the vast majority of them, were followers of Jesus Christ. All right. So so the government so it doesn't matter what level of government you're you you were going to talk about okay they can't perm, they can't there has to be fairness with regarding to religion and they can't promote it if you're a leader within the government but the government workers you say have a lot of freedom. Absolutely. Now when you get on the private side, Jim, over there you have to look at to a division, big employers and little employers and the, and the law uses 15 as kind of the dividing point. Um quite honestly, if you're under 15 um, as an employee, you have very little rights because we kind of promote small businesses, and that allows families to hire each other. That allows friends. Two or three people say, hey, let's go start a company. They don't have to have equal employment or opportunity um, you know, decisions to make. They can say, let's just get together. Hey, let's hire your daughter. Let's hire my son. It's kind of a, a small business protection. And so small employers, um, basically, if you work for a small employer, be nice to your boss because if he wants to keep you, he can. And if he doesn't, you're not going to have any legal rights, even if he says we're only going to hire people of this faith. I mean, even if it was a Muslim company that says we're only going to hire Muslims in this little company, um, if you were a Christian, you would not have a claim for a small employee. But on the other hand, the owners of these small companies had the ability to put whatever flavor they want on their companies to their customers. Uh, they can promote, they can encourage, they can uh, make a distinctive based on faith. And the idea is that the market controls. The market is the one that then lets them decide uh, whether they are successful or not. Now, larger employers, 15 or more, have what we call Title VII, which is a Civil Rights Act back in the 60s that says, among other things, including race and gender, that you cannot discriminate based on religion. And so the large employers understand that really they need to stay neutral on religion. They need to hire people irregardless of their faith. And they kick back to the fairness standard that if we're going to let uh, Muslims have a prayer time, we have to let Christians have a prayer time and that the fairness then controls in there. And even large companies have the ability to set agenda, tone and direction. For example, uh, many large corporations openly endorse the homosexual lifestyle and viewpoint and they advocate for it. Now, they can do that. Now, they could also advocate for a Christian viewpoint, a traditional marriage viewpoint. So companies still have the right to let the market control. They can say Merry Christmas. They don't have to say Merry Christmas. They have the ability to put as much religion or as much traditional values into their image as they want. I think it's really important, though, is to break out what you, you said, okay, the, let the market control it, uh, because that's important, because a lot of people don't realize the market economy. They don't understand what that, they, they don't really understand capitalism. And, and so what you're you're saying, I'll just clarify, and then you can add, add on your comments, but oh, oh, if a Christ follower says, hey, and, and you notice I don't use the word Christian. I, 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 don't, I don't like the word Christian because most people misuse the word Christian. I'm talking about Christ followers because nobody will call themselves a Christ follower if they're not 
because they'll call themselves a Christian, but they won't call themselves a Christ follower. It really takes it to the next level. So I, I just throw people under the bus. I like it. It's just because I'm tired of people misusing the name of Jesus. All right, but what you're saying is that they could put their mission, vision, value out there. It says, hey, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He rose from the dead to pay for our sins. I mean, they could put it all out there and let the market decide, which means the customers can buy from them or not, despite what they say about their Christianity. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Some restaurants say, bring your church bulletin to our restaurant, and we will treat that as a 10 or 20% coupon. Now, obviously, you got to go to church. you got to remember to bring the bulletin. But if you hand that to those type of restaurants, you will get the discount. Now, somebody may walk in and say, I slept in or I, I don't go to church. I don't like church. I'm never going to church. What's a bulletin? Okay, the reality is they're not getting the coupon. Okay, they're they're out of luck. Now, that individual may turn around and go, I'm not going to any restaurant that's jamming religion down my throat. And that's it's a free country. You as a individual consumer can say, I'll never go back to that restaurant again. Or maybe you'll walk out in a fence if you find out. Well, that was what Chick-fil-A Day was all about. I mean, even though the, the comments were twisted, it was in support of an openly Christ-following organization, Dan Cathy and, and Truett Cathy, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. But they, they outwardly stand for pro-family, pro-husband-wife marriages, pro-family organization. They are closed on Sundays in honor of God to let people, let their employees be with their families. And they were uh, there was a nationwide attack on them. And that's what Chick-fil-A Day was about. I mean, how many of us stood in, in mile-long lines to buy a chicken sandwich that day to show, hey, I'm supporting that organization? Absolutely. They had record sales, and that, again, was market. And, by the way, the folks that attacked Chick-fil-A were using the market also. Correct. And, and, and by the way, let me say this. Chick-fil-A lost customers. Now, they also gained a whole bunch. And guess what? That's what the market's all about. Okay, you're going to lose. But they some lose customers because they're not open on Sunday. But that's just a decision they made. Absolutely, and every decision has consequences. And that's what I'm letting business owners know: is you make a decision. And by the way, I believe God will bless Christ-honoring decisions. If you're going to be, as Jim says, a Christ follower, um, God will honor you. God will bless these decisions. You say, well, will we earn enough in six days of being open, or five days of being open, if we're closed on Sunday? Well, God can take care of all of that. God can provide blessing and opportunity in other ways. And so you have to make a decision on your values. Let the market decide. Let God decide and be willing to live with the consequences. I mean, maybe we'll reach a day where if you're a Christian-owned business, a lot of people won't want to do business with you because there will be a hostility or even a hatred in the culture. But you have to decide, am I willing? They crucified Jesus. Am I willing to stand up and let my faith be known regardless of the consequence? And that is what I encourage businesses to realize. Now, I do think in today's society, there's a lot of folks that are looking for somebody that's just different, that's going to actually be real and be the real deal and stand up for who they are. And so many people that go distinctively Christian, and certainly in some parts of the country, it's more successful than others. Um, the market rewards them richly because they say, you know, what? there's somebody I can trust. There's somebody I can count on. There's somebody that's going to go the extra mile. They're living their faith. And these are the kind of people that I do want to support. And, and they really talk about that, Jim, in the market affinity groups. You know, people like to buy from their own ethnicity. They like to buy from their own local neighborhood. They like to buy from people they line up with spiritually, politically. There is a certain affinity. You just feel more trusting and comfortable. And so I think people of faith can stand up and say, wait a minute, we do have some affinity. We love Jesus Christ. We care about each other and uh, being willing to help 
each other. Christian Chamber of Commerce, the concept, you know, Christians in affinity with each other, um, helping each other succeed and do what God's called them to do. So together we can do more for the kingdom. All right. So you've talked about employees in these organizations. Let's talk, let's talk about the leadership decisions. Let's just say I'm a Christ follower and I own a business with 15 people or less. How can I exercise my faith? What's my religious liberty availability in a business of 15 employees or less? A sky high. You can basically, and I, I want to be careful because obviously there are criminal laws. You can't go hurt people. But the reality is uh, you have pretty much unlimited reasonable right to practice your faith. You can let your, your light shine through your business in a myriad of ways, from your marketing materials to your, you can have uh, devotions, you can encourage people um, with your faith, you can witness to customers. Now, people may not like it. They may say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. But the reality is you have the right to pray with people. You have the right to be the salt and light you feel comfortable and you feel led to be. And so um, I want business owners and others to realize, you know, this concept that you have to stay firmly parked in the closet and hide your faith is a lie. It's a tool of the devil to spook you into inaction, okay? And it's a, been a very effective lie because there's a lot of people that didn't understand until, I didn't understand it until you were here in October last year that said that we had that kind of freedom. It's, the, it's that same lie that's perpetuated by the media just to get everybody to be fearful. It's just like the same lie that over 50% of marriages end up in divorce, which again has been recently proven that's completely false. Christ followers, the, the divorce rate among Christ followers who go to church is like 23%. It's yeah. unbelievable. Unbelie again, complete lie. Okay, so now I'm a leader of an organization with over 15 employees. You have to recognize that you have to make things available. So, for example, you can have a chaplain. You can make services available, but you just make it, again, voluntary. So if you say to your employees, I'm going to have David Gibbs in, and he's going to talk about what's going on at the Supreme Court, and he's going to talk about these issues, and anybody that would like to come over lunch, you're welcome to come. Okay, you have opportunities to provide training, information, education, as long as you are fair and don't make someone go that would feel uncomfortable or don't discriminate against someone uh, because of their decisions in faith. And so fairness, but recognizing you still have a lot of freedom, a lot of opportunity, certainly in big companies that have resources and other budgets to say, you know what, let's provide things that are good for our employees. Let's provide good family counseling. Let's provide good spiritual help. Let's provide things and let the employees have the opportunity to avail themselves. And then also giving the employees freedom. Um, we're going to have these rooms available for you to pray, have Bible studies, other things uh, where employee-led, employee-directed activities can go on with the full blessing of management, 100% legal, and certainly things that those in management need to be thinking and praying about. What would God have me do uh, to take the resources we have at this company? And really, I encourage the Christians in leadership to say, what would truly be best for your employees? If you make it an employee-first emphasis, uh, you're going to find lots of spiritual opportunities to be a blessing. Do I, as an owner of a business that has more than 15 employees, you said the fairness doctrine, or not the fairness doctrine, but the fairness issue needs to be taken into consideration. So if I let Christ followers have a, have a Bible study, if the Muslims ask me to have a Bible study, or if the Church of Scientology asks me to have whatever they do, I have to, you're saying I need to make that available? Yes, you would. Uh, right. If you're going to be a large employer and allow them to have religious studies, fairness is the concept. Now, I wouldn't recommend this, but you could say, 
no studies. You could just say we don't let the employees get together, and that would be fair. So, Which is what the they poli- try to do on the schools all the time, but really, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Well, and don't forget, this- high-speed schools, Constitution. David, as we've talked about a lot of issues, and we threw it right out there right as we were closing out the last segment. Schools. Kids in schools really have a lot of freedom. They do. Uh, Constitution kicks in. They're there under government control. They're minors. Student-led, student-initiated prayer, Bible studies, clubs, fully protected. Any actions by teachers to discriminate against students based on their faith, 100% unconstitutional. If the student, through their parents, were to sue, uh, they would win, and they would win attorney's fees. And schools are finally starting to get it, that they do need to respect the religious rights of the students. But the reality is what's sad is a lot of parents don't get it, a lot of kids don't get it. And so the media misinformation, you know, the separation of church and state screams out from our culture and is pushing young people into the closet, but the reality is legally, that's just not the case. Can they legally censor those graduation speeches that, you know, you, you often hear valedictorians that they have their speech and the, this uh, superintendent or the principal or whatever says, nope, you can't give that speech. It all depends on the structure. If it's viewed as the government uh, ceremony, they are supposed to stay neutral. If it's actually student-led, student-initiated, student-directed, then the students have now, the Now, graduations are always run by the administrators. So. That's correct. So that's so where that government hierarchy... Okay, all right. So, listen... However, let me throw one thing out. A local church could say, we're going to have a baccalaureate, and we're going to praise Jesus and have a preacher, and we're going to let every student come here and say what they want to say. So remember, too, you're not always limited if you're feeling like your public school isn't honoring values that matter to you look at other opportunities to expose christ in ways that are effective all right back in october we talked about this next issue as if it wasn't going to apply here we talked about in arizona several cases where the uh a a christian business owner who ran either a a wedding cake business a wedding photography business a, a, a wedding planner business they were really attacked by the gay and lesbian alliances about Floors, their business. bakers, chapels, right. even Everybody. ministers. And, and, but in the beginning of this year, now all of a sudden, that's happening here in Florida. And, and so you gave some advice today at the Christian Chamber of Commerce. I thought it was very, very powerful. And I want to put out there first, understand our mission in this country is to be salt and light. We don't alienate people and bring them to Jesus. However, you don't have to endorse their behavior. But that goes, stop picking on the homosexuals. If you got an adulterer in your life, you don't need to endorse their behavior either. So if you got a pornography addict in your life, you don't need to endorse their behavior either. Stop judging sin and people who sin differently than you. We all sin. But we need to love them with the love of Christ, but we don't have to endorse their behavior. So if we've got a Christian business and I'm a photographer, any one of those wedding-related businesses, how do I need to handle this? Well, what I've been recommending, Jim, is that people slow down a little bit. You don't have to take anybody in as a customer. Now, what the homosexual community says, well, if you discriminate based on the fact that I'm homosexual, I might sue you. And that's been a tough battle. It's almost assured that they're going to get sued. And it's all over the country. And right now, the homosexuals are winning all those cases, even sometimes having the government join in and help them. What I say to the wedding-related business owners or business employees is slow down a little bit. Take an application. Ask for a picture of the engagement photo. Look and see if this is something that you want to be part of. Now, if you say, wait a minute. 
I think this is a homosexual event, and I don't know that I want to be part of it. Well, you have a lot of absolutely legal reasons not to be there, including you're scheduled, you're busy, you don't feel that you would um, have say, the wait, sense. Wait, say those slower so people. <laughs> he's t- David's telling you slow down, and here's some great reasons of how you could slow down and make a, a case for not being available. You're already scheduled. You're unavailable. You're in an artsy sense. You don't feel part of the event. You're not sure you're the right person, and you don't have to say. I'm a follower of Christ, and I don't want to be part of a homosexual event, because that distills it right down to a case. You can have a lot of legitimate, good faith, objective reasons why you don't want to participate, and you just say, even I'm unavailable, it won't work for me. You're done. You don't get sued, and you're able to honor your faith and keep moving. Now, there are Christians, Jim, who say, you know what? I am going to go participate, and I'm going to try to be salt and light through the process. And that's, again, a choice that people can make. There's other people that say, okay, I'm just going to tell them straight up, I don't believe in homosexuality, and if they want to sue me, sue me, and I will just tell them, be careful, because you probably will get sued, and that can be a tough lawsuit. And, it could lose, and it could, you could lose everything. And, and, and one of the questions that was at my table at the Christian Chamber today was, well, then I'll just refer out the business. But that's what happened in Arizona, where it was Colorado, I think. The baker tried to refer the business to somebody else who would bake the cake and they said no we want you to bake the cake you said you'd bake the cake and they lost the case and lost their bakery if i remember correctly yeah well and let me add to this they said they'd bake the cake they went too fast you don't make commitments and try to back out slow down evaluate if somebody says mr gibbs will you be my attorney if i go yes they're gonna feelings are gonna be hurt later on if i say well no i don't want to be your attorney anymore if somebody walks up and says mr gibbs i want you to be my attorney well, I mean, it's okay, well, let's, what kind of case are you talking about? What are your issues? Who are you? And, and slow down a little bit. Make a decision before you get involved. And in the wedding-related businesses, if you want to avoid unnecessary litigation, that is very good counsel is to, in a sense, almost have an application and screen out before you make a commitment that you then don't want pictures. to Pictures. You said pictures were a good idea. An engagement picture. Say, can you send me an engagement picture so I can see if this is something that would fit my style, my business, if I could be a help to you? And remember, you know, Weddings are emotional, artistic, relational events. And so if you say, I'm just not feeling this, you you are able to kind of decline even on an artsy basis. That would work for everybody but me. If so, if I ever said that to somebody, they'd be like, really, Jim? Yeah, like, I, you've got I, well, an I, don't artistic... know that you, I don't think you have any like real, uh, um, no you're not artistic... an emotionally sensitive, artsy <laughs> no, guy. No, I'm yeah. not. All right, I got to tell you. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.